Welcome to the Unpolished MBA. I'm your host, Monique Mills. Many times entrepreneurs are called unpolished because they are scrappy and do things in unconventional ways. Well, I like the name Unpolished MBA so much that I even trademarked it. So on this podcast, we commend those with practical experience because they've proven time and time again that one can be successful in business even if they don't have a formal MBA degree. So on each episode, we discuss topics related to business and entrepreneurship. And I've been told that my guests and I provide insights and inspiration to aspiring and current entrepreneurs alike. So this is the place where you can come and hear real life stories that can help you navigate both challenges and opportunities in business. Now let's jump into the next episode. Hello, Unpolished NBA audience. Today I have a special guest, Ms. Shahara Wooten. Hello, Shahara. Hello, Monique. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you here. We're going to touch on a few things about like your journey. Of course, we have to talk about the entrepreneurial journey and some interesting things about finances. We all need to know more about that, get more in tune with that. So I'm excited about this conversation with you. You ready? Absolutely. Yes, I am ready. I'm excited. Let's go. (laughs) All right, cool. So I try to let people know how critical LinkedIn has been to connecting with great people like yourself. And I learned about you because we're both in this group called Black Women in Science and Engineering because we both have that background in STEM. So I want to start there because we usually start with the education. So tell me a little bit about your undergrad and why you studied that. And then we're going to move into how you ended up in the certified financial planner space. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So I started, I, I started in engineering. I always knew when I started college, that it would be engineering. But I didn't always know I would be an engineer. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a hairstylist, so many different things. And But I was good at math. Mm -hmm. And there was a point in time when I didn't think I was good at math. I wasn't really good really at anything academically. And I had a teacher who in third grade just helped me change my life and, and really through the help of my parents and them linking together, they helped me learn how to read, do math, tell time, all these different things that you would think I should know by the time I'm in third grade. But but my life just took a turn. And and I realized I really enjoy math. So I went through middle school and, and high school. And it was in high school where I had to determine what I wanted to be when I grow up. And and so I decided I would be an engineer because I heard that they 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 do math. And I'm not so much a fan of science, to be honest. Like it, it was something <laughs> I, I had to get through just to become an engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just wasn't like my thing. But yeah. I did, you know, I did it. And then while I was in high school, at the time, I didn't really, I wasn't very familiar with this organization, but I remember it, that it was called the National Society of Black Engineers. So shout out to Nesby. Yes, shout out to Nesby. And so (laughs) I was, I'm from Columbus, Ohio and a local chapter, I'm able to say all this now, but at the time I didn't fully understand it or grasp it, but a local chapter had sponsored me to go to Notre Dame in my junior year, the summer 
I believe it was the summer before my senior year or the summer before my junior year, but it was right around the junior year time frame. And I spent a couple weeks at Notre Dame and it was a STEM camp. And I think they might've called it more like an engineering camp at that time. I don't think STEM was the buzzword at that yeah. time, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah, but I got like, I got to stay on campus and I got to, we got to do some projects in STEM. We did Fortran and we did mm-hmm. all these different activities. And I said, you know what? I, I want to be an engineer. So then I went through engineering, decided to be an electrical engineer and graduated from there and then after college, I just, I was like, there's got to be something more, really. I, I didn't see myself doing what I saw the other engineers doing. Um, I, I just mean, feel as I far to- as like in electrical engineering? Yeah, in electrical engineering. Yeah. yeah. Some of my colleagues, um, you know, dealing with the oscilloscope and yes. it just didn't. Really? <laughs> I love those things. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I can understand. Yeah. yeah I can understand. Right. Especially if so, you like the math part of things, right? Yeah. Yes. So we're talking about yes. wavelengths and noise and the signals <laughs> and, and all of that. And you're like, yeah, I, I can I totally see. Yeah. I can see how you're just like, eh, that's, that's boring. Right. But, right. Uh-huh. You know, I'm at my, I'm, these are all during my internships and uh-huh. I'm just like this, this, I don't think this is for me, but but I'm going to do it. And then I ended up because of my internship, I was in the power side of the business of electrical engineering. Mm-hmm. And um, being in the power side, that's also not as innovative. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you were in power generation because I, yes. I too. Yeah, I did power generation. It's definitely more of a mechanical engineering thing, even yes. though there's parts of electrical because I used to build power plants. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So that, you know, all of those are tied to the grid and understanding that's, of course, a larger scale of electrical engineering versus electronics and, you know, semiconductors. But I can exactly. totally see. Yeah, it's more of a construction field. It is. It yeah. is. So that's what I found myself doing is um, we were, you know, I, I was at a company that dealt with pretty much every aspect from residential to the utilities to mm-hmm. Um, you know, major stadiums, you know, just making sure that, you know, they had the equipment. And so even with all of that during my internship, I I knew like, wow, this is not what I'm interested in, but I'm going to keep going because it was the path of least resistance. Um, I was getting this scholarship. I was getting this internship. So I didn't want to ruffle anything. I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's kind of like the golden handcuffs, but but when I graduated, I took on the job with that company. Again, it was path of least resistance, very easy to do. But while I was there, it, I was in a sales role mm-hmm. and I enjoyed getting out, meeting people. And But I just didn't enjoy the, the work. All right, let's take a moment to thank the biggest sponsor of the Unpolished MBA. That's TPM Focus. TPM Focus is a strategy consulting firm that helps startups and small business owners generate revenue and find their way to profitability when they're launching a new product or in a new market. So reach out to tpmfocus.com. TPM stands for the Profit Matters Focus.com. So, so I ended up, it was like I was 25 years old. I was in Philadelphia. I had just got off the technical sales and training program that that company offered. And so it was my first like full-time job outside of being a trainee and I wasn't a uh, intern anymore and I did distribution sales. And so I called on electrical contractors 
So that was, you know, all over the uh, tri-state area around Philadelphia. So that was the catalyst for me to just try to start to figure out what do I really want to be when I grow up? And I remember going to, remember going to an Urban League Young Professional Meetup and it was in Philadelphia and it was on, the topic was financial empowerment. And when I went there, they had tables full of insurance agents, financial advisors, various financial institutions. And I remember walking up to um, a bank. It was a, it's a major bank. And I remember the, there was a financial advisor. So I, I knew that that person was a financial advisor, um, but I hadn't had not met one before that I know of. So I walked up to him and I said, um, didn't know what I was going to say before I walked up to him, but this is what came out of my mouth when I did. So I said, I'm 25 and I want to retire by 30. And I'm just looking at him like, okay, what can you do about that? And I knew that five years was a short period of time, but at that age, 30 just seemed ancient to me. Oh so. gosh, it seems so old. I know. <laughs> right? Yep. Right. And it's not old at all, at all, you Mm -hmm. know? So, but at that Mm -hmm. age, it just seemed like, okay, I know this is a lofty goal, but what can you do? You're a financial advisor. So he looked at me and we decided to go ahead and schedule a meeting. I met him up in downtown Philly. And then I walk away with some paperwork and I'm just like excited but then a week passes and a month passes and time passes. I'm trying to reach him. And I'm like, do I have this account open? Am I starting to fund it? I just didn't understand. But then I soon realized after being ghosted, basically, that um, we never opened an account. We never did anything. And he thought I, your proposal was unrealistic. He's like, uh, yeah. Or <laughs> yeah, it, it was so odd to me. Right. Like yeah. either incompetent. I didn't understand either he was incompetent and didn't know how to open a basic account or he just felt like I'm not going to be able to help. He didn't take you seriously. (laughs) He didn't take me right. Right. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't like that. At least have a conversation. Yeah. Exactly. At least have a conversation. Help me set realistic goals. Help Mm -hmm. me level set. Give me some education something. So that at that point, I just really had a hunger for finding out more about finances. And at the time, my church was doing financial literacy, being in an internship, I did contribute to my 401k, like at a very young age, just because that's what I heard all my co-workers doing. So and we were able to do it. So I did it. But other than that, I didn't really understand fully like that you needed an emergency fund. I didn't understand credit score. And it just intrigued me, first of all, that I didn't understand that. I never knew about it. Mm -hmm. And then it was just intriguing because I knew that I wanted to build wealth and and just get on this path. And so I just really gobbled up as much as I could. You know, I had already, I believe, had by this point, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yes, uh, that was the catalyst for for me as well. (laughs) Yes, yes. This is the funny part. This is the funny part for I would say for professionals in STEM overall. Now we know that people who graduate with STEM degrees are outside of finance are the highest paid folks in, you know, in middle class, outside of entrepreneurs, right? Yes. Um, you know, we make good money in our careers and no one, and I mean no one ever talks about money and how you should allocate it once you start making it and how to use it for wealth. We don't, we How literally nothing about it. And we should, I think that should be a part of the curriculum. 
I agree. Like it should just be a part of before you graduate, this is what you need to do. How about for like cert- how we do for certifications, continuing education is required. Just like you got to renew your driver's license. Yes. Like everyone yes, should renew I love that. financial literacy every year because you forget things too, right? You and forget. then- yeah. And then like, as you, as you grow in your career or get older, whatever life happens, things happen and you need to make adjustments and you don't remember all of the things, the tools or whatever. So I mean, we need, really need to start doing that. We <laughs> do. And I believe in just in time financial literacy too, because oh, we don't good. retain a lot of that information either. So mm-hmm. um, just like you're saying, that is a way to curb just that information loss that you get because learning about a mortgage in middle school, you may not retain it, right? Like, right. Like, okay, <laughs> that was interesting, but it's not until you have to apply the information that you really, really retain it. And so that's why, I mean, just your idea about continuing education for financial literacy. I think that is mm-hmm. such a great idea because in a way to frame it, because it's really important to constantly educate yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's that's exactly what I was doing. And then it got to the point where I started praying and I was just like, oh my gosh, I feel like I want to change careers. And that's when I read uh, Purpose Driven Life and I read What Color Is Your Parachute? Yeah. And I started on a path to, to mm-hmm. changing my career. And finally, at the end of this month, it'll be 19 years that I did change careers and start on the path to the financial services profession. And how how did your family take that? So my dad, it's interesting because my dad, he's in financial services, a real estate agent, like, Mm -hmm. and does real estate and he worked for the state. So he was doing a lot of entrepreneurship stuff. So I feel like it was in my blood, but I will tell you that he didn't want me to do, you know, they didn't mind me changing careers, but I think when I talk about the progression of my career, like going to business and mm-hmm. getting away from that good job and having the the benefits and things like that, when I changed over more towards the entrepreneurship side, mm-hmm. uh, that's when I think I, you know, started to get more of that pushback. But I think everybody was just like, okay, you know, that that's fine. Like, I don't remember pushback from mm-hmm. them. It's scary um, for a lot of parents. And now I know, you know, I know this now as a parent, my kids aren't that age yet, but I can see how your child has gotten this degree that could have them that good old job for the rest of their lives. And they're choosing to do something that quote unquote provides less security. And then you're afraid for them. And I'm so glad that you just had a little bit of pushback. I'm so glad that that was it. And they allowed you to explore because now you blowing up the spot. Um, (laughs) Thank you. you. Yeah. So, I mean, I've watched some of your lives guys. I'm going to give you all a link to her LinkedIn profile and other things, but I watched one of her lives, her LinkedIn lives recently. It's great. Um, I mean, you just share so much. So, So, I mean, you're definitely gifted in what you do and in communicating it in a both personable and easy to digest way so that people can take action. If they, if they're at that point, you know, some people say they want things, but aren't willing to put the work in. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. I truly appreciate that. Yeah. Um, It's powerful. And just even back to your point regarding the family pushback, because my new career was about, it was comparable in terms of pay and all of that 
Mm-hmm. Um, they were, they were more accepting, but I, but you know, like you talked about with entrepreneurship, you don't have all the benefits. And my dad was, was an entrepreneur and he was just like, I don't want you to, <laughs> he did push back on that when I was given proposing that I wanted to just kind of go out on my own and do all this stuff, um, by myself. And he pushed back on that. And I was just like, but you're an entrepreneur, you know? And that was probably why, cause he knew how hard it was. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, when I truly launched out, honestly, I did not tell them. I did not seek their advice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to do this because I don't want anybody holding me back or, or giving me. So I, I'll tell you that part. There was pushback as I got towards entrepreneurship. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. When you, you're lucky that you had a parent that had entrepreneurial experience, even if you didn't ask them for, for help or insight. There was someone in your circle who had that experience. Now, mm-hmm. how do you learn about business overall where they give us none of that kind of insight in mm-hmm. the engineering school? Did yeah, you make a lot yeah. of mistakes? Were you broke for a long time? Yes. <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> it was definitely trial and error. And what really happened for me is when I left, I was in a brokerage firm, like a broker dealer brokerage firm. And when I was there, that taught me a lot about how to start from zero every month because I was on straight commission. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like a lesson. It was like getting me prepared for being fully like having no training wheels at all. So not knowing like where your business is going to come from every month, that that can for me, it definitely helped build my faith in God. Mm-hmm. Like I had mm-hmm. to rely on him more than I ever did before. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, I had no idea where stuff was coming from. And it gives you more, definitely more grit because you just get out there. You put yourself out there. I was in Phoenix and I didn't realize that I would be putting myself out there like that. I was always out networking, but it was more so like for, for corporate, like just to meet other corporate professionals. But um, once it changed to just being with them, uh, being a financial advisor at that broker dealer firm, it turned into me actually just having to meet people to hopefully see if they can give me business. So that did give me some great training. And I also had to take a pay cut because I started there at that with that commission, lower commission or a lower base salary than what I had before. And then it also prepared me for, I had to cut a lot of expenses. So when I talk to people about cutting expenses, if they need to, when I talk about people about how hard do you want, how much do you want something? I know because from personal experience. And so I had pretty much cut everything down so much that by the time I was ready to start my own business, it was just going to be easy because I was used to a certain level, like a Mm -hmm. certain lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I was able to build up and, and really grow from there. And then everything else just, it was like, wow, this seems like a lot of money now because I didn't have that before. I had to cut pretty much everything that I could, you know, eating out. It might've been a little, it was difficult to say no to people on social things. Sometimes I would have to do that. Um, And because of that, you do, there's a repercussion. People will just stop calling you. You're saying no so much. They're like, and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, I don't talk to that person anymore. (laughs) um, So I will say there's a sacrifice there too, 
you know, with relationships. But what I've learned is that if you can learn how to build, just continue to keep hold on to some of those relationships, but then some of them will just fizzle out. Everything has a purpose and a season. Um, but there were just a lot of, a lot of things that I learned from just bare bones getting down to the bare bones. What is it that I really need right now to make all this work? And you really get scrappy and you really learn how to sometimes launch ugly. You mm-hmm. learn that you don't need to be perfect. You mm-hmm. just need to make some progress, take some steps forward and do it. And when I, because I was single and I didn't have any children, and I, I would no husband. It was just a good time for me to kind of do those kind of things because I was only affecting myself. Oh, that's a great point. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, by the time you got all those other things locked in, it's not that it's not possible, but it makes it yes. much harder to make the decision. Yes. Much harder. So we're talking about you switching over to the financial sector and doing your own thing. So explain to us what that own thing is. Like, what is your business? What do you do? Yes, thank you. So back in 2016, I decided to launch my um, own firm, a registered investment advisory firm. I had been in the uh, industry since 2004, like I stated. And in 2016 was the first time ever that I learned that I could even start my own firm. It's just crazy. A <laughs> lot of financial advisors out there don't know this. And so I can always sense by the way they ask questions, if I tell them I launched my own firm, like that, oh, wow, you you were indoctrinated like I was, that that's something you can't do. So basically, yeah, in, in 2016, I learned that I could do this from another colleague who had left the previous firm. And then I ended up linking up with an organization that would help me launch because I had no idea how to do this. And so that's that's another thing, just getting help, finding resources. And that was March 2016 when I discovered that. April 2016 is when I connected with the organization. And then from there, they helped guide me into how to launch. So I started LLC, mm-hmm. um, all these different things. But because I was still at my other firm, I had to leave. If I told them that I was planning to start my own firm or that I was leaving and going into the same position type position, you have to leave like right away. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about that because did you have a non-compete in place so that they felt protected against you stealing their business or anything like that? Yeah. So there was a lot of factors, non-compete, but even before we talk about the non-compete, I was starting a firm while I was at the firm. Right. And, And so the LLC at the time at this in the state of Arizona had to be advertised in a newspaper. So I was just like, please don't, you know, I was hoping nobody <laughs> saw this <laughs> for it to be legit. And then um, and then I was linking up with vendors that I might potentially use and um, told them, do not call my office, just call my personal phone. And it was completely the RIA is different than the broker dealer world that I was at. But that's another that's another okay. conversation. Uh-huh. But they would still call. Somehow they got my office number and my assistant would come in the office and she would say, hey, so-and-so mutual fund called. And I told them you weren't here, but you might want to call them back. And I'm like, what? Uh (laughs) But But looking at her, I'm just like, 
oh my gosh, I can't believe they called the office. They're trying to sabotage me. I told them never to call the office. So, <laughs> so I, I couldn't believe it. So anyway, by the time I did start my firm, though, that was a mutual fund company I did not use. But, uh, but <laughs> they don't you know, follow directions. You already no, know. They don't listen. They, Right. You don't listen. You're trying to sabotage this whole thing that I got going here. So I ended up working with a compliance company, getting the state of Arizona to to get me registered. And I was going through a lot of kinks with that. But finally, we worked through all that. And July 1st is when I knew that I needed to leave my previous firm. So the previous firm, I even spoke with, because I was in a networking group, I spoke with an attorney and I said, hey, can you read agreement that I had Mm -hmm. with them? And he shared with me that, yeah, it looks like there is a non-compete in here. And I knew that there was because previous advisors had left the firm and and I knew that, but I just wanted to confirm it from a legal perspective. And so, yeah, so I, um, I was unable to reach out to clients directly and ask them, but they normally will give a letter and tell them they give a letter to all clients that they're the advisor left. Mm-hmm. And at that time I could not start my firm. So July 1st, I had to leave. Then I could go start my firm because I was having issues with the state of Arizona. So they weren't able to put in there that your financial advisor left and this is where she went. And so it's a very interesting that they would do that when it's a non-compete because clients yeah. will try to follow you. Well, for me, a lot of my clients I had met through social networking events. So I was able to go out and they would see like, what you left? Like what's going mm-hmm. on? Or some people had my social media and so they reached out. And so that's how people kind of found me. But I knew that based on how I wanted to do business going forward, I wanted to really focus on a niche. And with my other company, I was really basing it on if you could breathe, if you could fog a mirror. Yeah. Yeah, You're a customer. <laughs> yes. oh, so what did you niche down on? What population are you focused yeah. on serving? Yes. So at that time, it's really evolved. But at that time, it was women professionals and then STEM professionals. And then I've just really niched down even further because I now have an academy spun off and I'm niching down to black STEM, women STEM professionals. Oh, incredible. Yes, yes. So I still work with STEM professionals with my RIA, but then I created another business that's just for the academy. And that's focused on black women STEM professionals. So the umbrella is still STEM. And then it ends up being, there's a like an even more niche focus on the, on the black women in STEM. So it was like 14 days from 7-1, July 1st. And I declare that my Independence Day. So if anybody, that's my <laughs> career Independence Day. Yeah. And it just was, it's just a wonderful day that I celebrate every year. So seven years in, seven years, it was seven years I was with the firm on 7-1-2016. I left the firm and then 7-14, the state of Arizona approved me to start my own firm. Well, congratulations Um, on that. (laughs) I mean, it's so ingrained. You even know the dates. I want to ask you about this academy, though. Can you explain what that is? Is it a course that you go, folks are in a cohort and go through it together? Yeah, great question. So I am in the development stages of it. I started actually developing it back in 2021 um, because I wanted to reach more people. My firm, I do one-on-one work or one to a couple, so two people. 
And then with my book that I wrote, I, I, that's one to many. And then one to a few was the, the academy, the program, the online mm-hmm. program. And so I wanted to, you know, figure out like, well, who's the one to a few that I want to work with? And that would be Black Women in STEM because that's who I relate to. I, I know yeah. um, that experience. And so mm-hmm. I said, and they need help. There's plenty that they make a lot of money and they've made really great decisions. But then there's those women that they make a lot of money and they're just like, wow, I feel paralyzed and stuck. Like, why Mm -hmm. do I even feel, why am I struggling? Like, why I make all this money? Like, where is it going? Where is it going? (laughs) I hear that a lot. (laughs) Yes. I want you to fill me in on this book that you mentioned. So now let me tell you just how impressed I am thus far. You talked about so many different things that you've done in such a short amount of time. And for me, the light bulb went off that when you were in your first role, you understood that you were capable of so much more. And this is proof, like just everything that you mentioned is proof. So we went from starting a couple of businesses, now start with an academy, and now you can even add author to your name. So I just want to congratulate you on that. I'm super impressed. So I just had to tell you that. Yeah. So tell me about the book and guys we will link to it in the show notes, but tell us about the book. What's the title of it and what is it about? Yeah, it's called In the Meantime, Own Your Financial Narrative. And I wrote the book because I I had come to understand that Black wealth was going to fall to zero by 2053 unless we do something about it. And that really disturbed me. And I thought, well... I want to be a part of the solution. And I also want to know why is this? So I write in the book of the history behind the racial wealth gap. And then I also interviewed several people from being who are entrepreneurs. I interviewed a couple, like, I would say one entrepreneur, one corporate person, but I wanted to share their inspiring stories of how they've overcome despite economic injustice. And then also bring in the financial literacy aspect. So financial empowerment. So that's all incorporated in the book. And it's the goal is to help people to really make a change for themselves, their families and generations to come. Wow. Congratulations on that. You are definitely, so I know like on your LinkedIn profile, it it shows that you're a, a CFP, a certified financial planner, but it sounds like you're a financial life planner, (laughs) a strategist, all of those things when it comes to folks trying to even figure out like what to do with all the money that they're making. Do you, quick question on that, because I know certain business models for folks in this space are different. Do you also help people invest? I do. So my RAA side, I do investment management and comprehensive financial planning. Mm -hmm. And so with my academy business, I'm unable to do investment management. So with that, it's more education, curriculum and community and having access to an experienced professional. But yes, investment management is a big aspect of my business. Wow. Yes. Well, Shahira, thank you so much for joining us today. For everyone, I just want you guys to know that her tagline on her LinkedIn says, helping clients create financial success one chapter at a time. Yes. Uh, Lord knows life is a bunch of chapters, right? I don't know which chapter I'm in now, but <laughs> I, it feels <laughs> like one long book, right? It does. Uh, <laughs> it does. Absolutely. <laughs> So Shahara, where is the best place for folks to connect with you? 
Great question. The best place is LinkedIn. I am on there as Monique shared. I'm on there. I'm trying to post at least three to five times a week. And then I do a LinkedIn live, I would say every couple of weeks, if not more. And that would be the best place to find me. That's where I'm active. I like to get engagement and, and see what people's thoughts are on financial empowerment tips. Everyone, I'm going to put the link to her LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So make sure you connect, follow, and drop into some of her incredible LinkedIn lives. So Shahara, thank you for joining us today. And I hope everyone will follow you and get some financial literacy. Yes, I do too. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Unpolished MBA podcast. To hear more episodes or to request to become a guest, please visit unpolishedmba.com.